It's a great opportunity for us as we come together today. Um, see what God's doing around the world. Uh, just came to my mind that we have three of our missionaries here today, including Abigail. Uh, the Kaczynskis, Scott and Annette, are one of the missionary families that we support, and they serve here locally, uh, here in DeWitt. And, of course, Scott and Annette help lead music as well, and so it's great having them part of the service with us every week. Uh, Mark Ferran is here with us today, and he's going to be sharing God's word. I think the kids are going at this time, uh, so just mention if that's okay with parents, the kids can go to the back for Children's Church. Uh, but I also want to mention that during Sunday school, Abby will be sharing a bit about Romania, about what she's going to be doing. We're going to combine Sunday school classes. Uh, both the adult classes will be upstairs, but also the youth, youth Sunday school class will be upstairs. And we're also going to have the children's Sunday school class upstairs. And so if, um, if you have your children here with you today, Abby has some special activities during the Sunday school hour, uh, so they can help. They, it'll help them follow along. Uh, but we are going to ask that if you, um, if we want to encourage you to bring your children, but have them sit with you during that Sunday school hour so we don't have a free-for-all of 19 kids up front. Um, so that would be helpful if we have parents um, in particular having your children with you today. Um, as I mentioned, Mark Ferran is with us today. Um, I had didn't intend to have Mark preaching here the same week that we had our commissioning service. I had forgotten about some of the timing of that. and um, But... Uh, I was reminded this weekend as I was putting Mark's uh, your sermon notes together, and I put Mark's bio on the back that Mark had actually served in Bucharest planting churches in Romania for a time, and so um, it's a nice connection there as well. Uh, I've gotten to know Mark over this last couple of years. Um, he, Mark, and his wife Jamie, who also works with the EFCA, um, have been uh, a special part of my ministry, and and uh, it's been a pleasure to get to know him as he's been as he's joined the EFCA over this last couple of years. Um, Mark replaced one of our other missionaries. Our church supports them. Uh, but uh, it's been a great encouragement to me. Uh, we've gotten together for a, f a few times over lunch, and Mark prays for our church. And uh, one of the things that's particularly been an encouragement to me is Mark has just asked, how can I be praying for you? And, uh, and I've met Mark on a couple occasions. We've run into each other in a hallway at a different conferences. And uh, it stuck out to me. You know, Mark said, hey, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. We have a conversation. And how are things going with this? And he mentioned a prayer request that he'd been praying for over that time. So I know Mark is praying for you because on the spot, um, it comes to his mind. Um, and that, that shows that he's been faithful in that. And so uh, that in itself has been a blessing to me as pastor here at DeWitty Free. Uh, we are part of a region uh, that spans Arkansas, Missouri, all of Iowa, and uh, South Dakota to the Missouri River and south of I-90. And uh, Mark oversees that region as the assistant uh, director here uh, in this region and uh, is a pastor to pastors. He uh, is in charge of a lot of the credentialing that we do for licensing and ordain ordaining our pastors. Uh, but he's also there when churches are struggling, when they're without a pastor and they're looking for someone. Uh, he's there to help with church health and uh, uh, just ministering to bodies that are, are struggling and sometimes churches that are going through difficult times and the pastor needs encouragement. And so thankful for, for all that he does, all the driving that happens every week. I uh, drove all the way from um, further than Des Moines this morning, and so we're glad to have you with you, with us. Uh, Mark, if you, at this time, if you would just come forward, and uh, if you would share God's word with, with us today. Good to be here this morning. I've been back from Romania seven years now. Um, but this morning, it just reminded me of all the joys of language learning. Um, I was remembering one in particular. Uh, the in, in Bucharest, where we live, the capital city, um, pretty much all of the windows don't have screens on them. 
So if you want to install screens, you have to install, pay someone to do it yourself. And they don't have a word for screen, so they call it the net against the mosquitoes. Plaza Umpotriva sin salilor. And uh, I was helping one of my friends move into his apartment, and he was uh, a Romanian, but he was uh, married to an American. So he spoke fluent English. We were moving everything in, and I realized, oh, they don't have any screens yet. And, and so I was trying to say, hey, if you, want, if you want the number basically for someone with the screens, I just installed these. And what I said was, hey, if you need the phone number, we just install these screens to keep the poor peasants out? So, <laughs> and he starts dying laughing. Oh, bad problem with that, huh? Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a joy to be here this morning. Um, it's a joy to be at a church that still values missions and still understands the importance of sending people around the world to see the gospel preached. And so also just thank you guys, because um, uh, like Jeff said, uh, my ministry is also a missionary ministry where I can't serve in these roles and serve churches in the way I do without churches that partner. And you guys partner with us and partner with me. And so thank you so much just for the ways you bless other churches all around Iowa and South Dakota and Missouri and Arkansas. So thank you for being a part of that. Uh, today I'm going to be in... Uh, Luke chapter 19, um, and while you're turning there, um, I'm just going to pray for us one more time. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you are a, a good God and a loving God, and a God that is on mission, uh, where you sent your son, Jesus Christ, down to this earth to die for us, um, so that we can know you, so we could spend eternity with you. Um, and today, um, we just ask that your word would come alive to us, that we would see and hear what you desire to communicate to us, um, and just that we better understand you, and we better understand your word today. We just pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, there was a, a great commotion in town. Everyone was gathering. There, there was lines of people basically beginning to accumulate on the sides of the road, and there were so many people that were beginning to accumulate, it causes this man to walk out of his business. He, he walks out of his business, he kind of sticks his head out, and he sees people all lined up across the road. And he's wondering, what, what's going on? This is, this is not a normal day. And, he, and he's like, I, I need to figure out what's going on, because he knew he wasn't going to see over the crowd, because he's one of the shortest people in town. So he begins to go around and ask people, basically, hey, hey, what's going on? Well, why, why is there such a big commotion uh, of people coming? And, and everyone's so excited, and, and they almost answer him uh, until they turn around and they see who it is. And then with a scowl, they look away and refuse to give him an answer. You see, because although this man is a Jew, he works for the foreign nation that occupies their country, Rome. And when people see him, they scowl and look away. This happens, it happens again, and, and he keeps asking more and more people, and no one will give him an answer. So finally, he, he finds this, this small little boy who says, it's Jesus. Jesus is coming to town. And this man has heard about Jesus. He, he's heard about how he has healed the sick, how he has cast out evil spirits, how he has done the impossible with miracles, and, and how Jesus even accepts people in this man's profession. One of Jesus' own disciples is a tax collector. This guy is so excited, he's like, I have to, I have to see him. How am I going to see him over the crowd? 
And so instead of heading towards where he sees this group coming up through town, he heads the opposite direction. And he runs up the street, and and he finds a tree. And he climbs up the tree, and you can just picture him kind of going through these little branches, climbing out there, and then he snaps a few twigs off so he can have this clean line of sight to the road. And then he sits there, and he waits. And he can see kind of off at the distance that there's a group of people kind of meandering through town, coming up the main street. And finally, it's getting closer and closer to where this guy can see Jesus and his disciples walking through town. And finally, when it gets to that point, all of a sudden this man sees Jesus. And he can tell by by the way he's walking that he has a a love and a compassion even in, in his gaze. But all of a sudden, Jesus stops. And he turns, and he looks straight up into the tree at Zacchaeus. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. The man everyone else has ignored. The man everyone else has written off. And in this moment, as Zacchaeus sits on this tree branch, locking eyes with Jesus, he absorbs the warmth, and the compassion and the love of his gaze. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He turns, and he walks straight towards the tree. And he looks up, and he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you come down, because I'm going to go hang out at your house today. And with that, he, he's filled with this excitement, he's filled with this joy, he's like, this, this could not be happening, Wow. And he's like climbs off the branch and you can just see like the smile on his face. And as he starts climbing down the tree, he, he begins to hear them. B- because you see the crowd is there as well. And they begin to mutter. And they begin to complain. Why are you going over to his house today? Jesus, clearly you don't know who he is. You don't know what kind of guy he is. You don't know what he's like. You don't want to hang out at his house. And, and with this, Zacchaeus is, is a little almost downcast, but, but he climbs down. And when he gets down, he, he says to Jesus, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus, standing there as a proud parent would, smiles and says, Today, salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Our our passage is Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The, the focus of this passage today, which I want to highlight, is, is there's two different ways that you can see Zacchaeus. You can see Zacchaeus through the eyes of the townspeople, or you can see Zacchaeus through the eyes of Christ. And, and it's almost like different glasses that you can put on to see these two different perspectives. And so what I want to do is, is I just want to kind of highlight the different ways that, that they're interacting with this man and the different ways that they're seeing him. But one of the things I, I want to start with is just kind of the, the context of where this is taking place. It says Jesus is passing through Jericho. And, and I didn't really fully understand this. So I grew up in Michigan, and I grew up in a town of 30,000, and I always thought it was small. I said, when I grow up, I'm going to live in a big town because 30,000 is a small town. And then after, we, when we lived in Bucharest, Romania, it's a, a couple million people. And when we came back, I pastored in Missouri in a town of 500. If you're wondering, yes, that, it, that qualifies as small. Um, and one of the things we, we used to do is we used to walk around prayer walking I- in the community. So we'd walk around the streets praying for the people who lived there that God would open up a door for us to build relationships with them so that we could share the gospel. And it was so interesting because it didn't matter who I went prayer walking with from the church. Every time we went out, it was a history lesson. Because we walked by all these houses and we're like, oh, we got to stop here. This is the Martins' house. The Martins have five kids. Four of them were this age, this age. Two of them moved to St. Louis. One of them got a DUI, went to jail for a couple years. And then you go to the next house. Oh, <laughs> we got to stop. This is the Davis house. The Davises, uh, they got divorced when we were in third grade, and someone's like, no, that was like second grade. Oh, yeah, yeah, And everyone knows everyone's history. And that was just so foreign to me. And then I realized, oh, it's because a lot of them are related, and a lot of them went to school together. But in small towns, people know each other. They, they, they know the community. They, they remember, basically, people's stories. The, the, these towns back in, in ancient Israel, they're, they're smaller communities. They're not like the, these big, huge cities today. And, and so when you think about someone like Zacchaeus, who is from a smaller town, a smaller community, you ask the question, does the community know who he is? Yeah, they know who he is. They know his parents. They know his brothers. They know his sisters. If you, if you were to ask, hey, do you know who Zacchaeus is? They'd go, oh yeah, I know who Zacchaeus is. I remember the week he took this job. I remember the day that he decided to choose basically making money over love of God and love of country. The, the equivalent of what Zacchaeus did here is if, in modern day, in our times, if Russia basically attacked America and took over America and then put garrisons all over the place, military, and, and then they went around and recruited Americans to collect taxes for Russia, and your neighbor went, I'll do it. That person's not getting invited to the block party, right? <laughs> that's, wh- that's what Zacchaeus does here. He, he's a Jew, he is an Israelite, and he is working for, collecting taxes for, this foreign nation. And, and so the, the people in this community know who he is. And they treat him and they interact with him 
And everything they do is on the basis, basically, of their personal history with him. How, how they see Zacchaeus is basically his actions up to this point. They interact with him based on the choices he's made and how he's currently living his life. And so if he was up here right now standing on stage and you said, uh, can you get some labels for me for Zacchaeus? What would you put on here? And they would go, oh, he, he's a traitor. He's unpatriotic. He, he's, he's not religious. He doesn't love God. He, he's a lover of money. And if he was here and he had all these labels, how they interact with him and how they see him is based on all of these labels that they have placed on him. You see, what's so interesting is because they're so focused on who he is that, that the crowd and the townspeople has forgotten who they are. But when we think about like the, the, the story of the Bible and, and how Israel was slaves in Egypt, when we think about how, how they were all slaves there and, and they were set free, we ask the question, well, how was Israel set free from slavery? Because they had a superior military? No. Be because they, they had such great unified leadership all the time and the people wanted to go along with it? No. Were, were they saved from slavery based on anything they've done? No. They were saved from slavery because of God's grace in their life. And then as God set them free from slavery, and they moved towards the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, how did they get that? Once again, because God set it aside for them. Because of God's grace, they had this promised land to go to. And now Israel has a special covenantal relationship with God. How? Be because they're so obedient? Because they, they, they love the word so much? No. It's because of God's grace. You see, the people of God, the people of Israel throughout the, the Old Testament, they're, they're who they are. They have the relationship with God they have. They live where they ha do. All of these things are set free from slavery because of God's grace in their life. They are a people of grace. And yet... For from passages like this, in all of Jesus' ministry, we see they have forgotten this. They think they're better. They think they're better because of the fact that they're there, or because of the decisions they make, or, or they're not doing these things like people like Zacchaeus is doing. And because they've forgotten that they are a people of grace, they don't freely extend grace to others. I remember when the Lord began teaching me more of this and to see it in my own life. Um, so when I pastored down in Missouri, we, we went through a period of time where we were praying about what is God calling us to as a church? What, what is missions going to look like? What is ministry going to look like? And we spent a lot of time just praying, and we began to realize that we have a lot of servants in our church, a lot of very skilled people who do construction and concrete and, and <coughs> excavation and stuff. And so as we prayed about this, we got connected to a ministry through um, EFCA Reach Global called Crisis Response. And what Crisis Response is, is if a hurricane or a tornado hits an area, Reach Global will send some missionaries in 
and they'll establish a partnership with the local church, and they'll help people who can't afford to rebuild their homes, they'll help them rebuild. And, and churches from all across the country will send work teams and service teams down to basically serve for five days, helping people rebuild their home. And so we did this. We, we got partnered up with them, and we went on this trip down to Corpus Christi, Texas, to help rebuild after one of the hurricanes. And uh, when we first got to the house that we were serving at, they did a really good job equipping us in, in saying, you are not here to do a project, you are here to love people. And so the number one thing is not making sure that you get as much work done as possible. It's if the homeowners show up, you stop what you're doing, you talk with them, and you pray with them, because that's why you're here. And so uh, we had this house we pull up to, and they had, this person had received some FEMA money, and they started building a new home. They were living in a FEMA trailer. And they, they built it up on stilts now, and they started, and they built the floor and the walls, and then they ran out of money. Um, and so it hadn't had a roof in about three months. It had been rained on. And, and so we were there. We had to basically, from day one, kind of rebuild some of it before we could actually start constructing it. And underneath this house was the, the most beer cans I've ever seen in my life in one place. It was that you could not see the ground. It was so covered. And, and one of uh, our team members got trash, trash bags and climbed under the house and spent literally the entire day just putting cans in, in trash and picking up these cans. And, and so we worked throughout the day in the house, and when the homeowner came, we stopped what we were doing, we prayed with them. And at the end of the day, we went back to the church where we were staying, spent the night there, and the next morning we had a Bible study. Um, and people always have to have their pastor do the first Bible study of the week, right? And so I had to do the first Bible study, and I had something prepared. But that morning as I was praying, I remember just opening up the Word and reading in the Word and, and feeling the, the Spirit of God nudging me, saying, Mark, the homeowner's name was Phil. If Phil was your neighbor, would you be helping him? <laughs> and I remember just going, no. No, I wouldn't. I would come home every day, and I would complain to my wife, Jamie, can you believe that guy? He says he doesn't have money to finish his home, but clearly, I mean, he's drinking it all away. And, and he's not taking care of his property. He's not mowing. He's not, it's like if, if he was my neighbor, I would come home and complain every day about him. And, and it was just this realization where I began to see that it is so much easier to extend grace to people we don't know or people far away than people who are actually in our lives and we have a relationship with. Because Phil, man, I, I can love him for five days because I'm going home in five days and I'm never going to see him again most likely. But it's so much more difficult with my neighbor who, who lets their dog poop in my yard every day. <laughs> or, my, or my new neighbor who, who doesn't put his trash in the dumpster and it blows into my yard and I get the joy of picking up. It, it's so much more difficult to love people and extend grace to people who, who, who are already in our lives because we know them. We know their history. We, we know how they act. We, we know the decisions that they're, they're regularly making. And that day when we went to our little devotional, I had to confess to the rest of the people in my, my church and my group, is like, man, I'm just realizing this morning that I treat people, basically who live in our community, based on how they have lived and how they are currently living, instead of treating them on who they could be if God's grace transformed their life. And, and it was just this moment of realization, like I said, there, there's two ways that the peop this people can view Zacchaeus. 
They, they can view him through the, the lenses of how the townspeople see him, seeing him as someone based on how he's lived up to this point, or you can see Zacchaeus through the lens of grace, which is how Jesus sees him. Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What I love about this passage is it calls us to remember. Remember who we were apart from God's grace in our life. Remember how we came to faith in Christ. Remember that on, on our own we would not have pursued God, but he first pursued us. He pursued us before we cleaned up our lives because we wouldn't have been able to without him. Passages like this call us to remember that we are, first and foremost, a people of grace. Just like Israel was saved from slavery through God's grace and God's grace alone, we too are saved from our sin and from slavery to sin in this life through God's grace and God's grace alone. And just like Israel lived in the promised land, and they had this promised land solely because of God's grace, we have an eternal promised land that we have to look forward to solely based on God's grace in our lives. And just like Israel had a special covenantal relationship with God, we too have a special covenantal relationship with God solely based on God's grace in our life. You see, the gospel message that, that Jesus Christ came down to earth, that, that, that he, he lived a sinless life, and, and that he died on the cross for our sins. And that what's required of us is faith in him, faith in his message and repentance of our sin. And, and the receiving of his grace makes us who we are. And what Christ calls us to in passages like this is taking off the glasses like the townspeople have, viewing people through the lens of how they're currently living their lives or, or poor decisions they've made in the past, and instead putting on the lens of grace and first and foremost seeing ourselves every day as recipients of God's grace. That that is our starting point. That is our identity. That is who we are. We are people who, who receive the grace of God and as we put on these glasses of grace, beginning to see the people around us the way Christ does, through the lens of grace. Because, you see, when Jesus walks into Jericho on this day, he, he doesn't just see a tax collector. He doesn't see someone who's unpatriotic. He, he doesn't see someone who's ungodly. He doesn't see all of these things. When, when Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, he sees someone who is created in the image of God. And because of that, he sees someone who has intrinsic value and worth. 
Because being an image bearers of God means you can reflect the character and qualities of God. Yes, he is not doing it at this moment, but he has that capability. And because Jesus sees him through this lens of grace, he extends grace to him. And, and what the rest of the townspeople cannot see, which, which this passage illustrates, is, yes, Zacchaeus has made a whole lot of poor decisions in his life. Yes, he is currently not living in a way that is obedient to the Lord. But what they cannot see is he's so ready to change. Where literally, he just meets Jesus. He locks eyes with Jesus. He climbs down from the tree and he says, I'm going to give away half what I own. I've been living for the love of money. I'm not going to do that anymore. And yes, I have taken things I wasn't supposed to. But I'm going to pay back four times the amount. Where we see in an instant, his life is transformed. And all it took was one person looking at him through the lens of grace. Christ walking through town, reflecting and demonstrating and living out the, the grace of God as he embodied the grace of God. So you see what this, this passage calls us to as believers being reminded that we are first and foremost a people of grace. And so as I begin to wrap up, I just want to ask you a couple questions to think about. The, the first one is this. When you wake up in the morning, tomorrow morning when you get up, do you first see yourself every morning as a recipient of grace? Do you remind yourself that, that you have what you have, that you are who you are, that you know what you know because of God's grace in your life? Because that practice every morning is the same basically as picking up the glasses with which Christ sees the world and putting them on and saying, and that is how I am going to see the world. That I am first and foremost a recipient of grace. And so therefore, I need to see the people around me as potential recipients of grace. And so that's the second question. Who in your life might God be calling you to view in this way? As a potential recipient of grace. Many times it's, it's our neighbors that dog poop on our yard. Or, or it's the coworker who, who, who never puts paper back into the copier after they use it all. The, the, or, or you name it. Who, who, who are the people who, who right now come to mind and, and God is calling you to say, I want you to look at them through the lens of grace, not through the decisions they've made or, or the past they've had, but on who they could be if Christ's grace transformed their life. See, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And for us to be a, a part of his mission, we first need to see ourselves as recipients of grace. And then put on those glasses of grace and see the world in the same way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for sending your son, uh, Jesus Christ, down to this earth to reveal who you are. 
to live among us, um, showing us your character and your love. I just ask that today you would allow us to embrace your grace more fully. That you would begin to transform our identity to be a daily one of grace. Where we'd wake up every morning just reminded of all you've done for us and all you will do for us in this life and in eternity. And we just ask that you would help us look at the world and look at those around us in the same way that you see them. Not through the mistakes they've made, not through how they're currently living their lives, but based on who they could be if your grace entered their life. We just ask that you would bless us with the privilege of being used by you in this way, in this life. We just pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.